All right, today um, I have my close first personal friend, Joseph Kim. He is the director of NAOS House of Prayer and Church in Berkeley, California. And man, he fits right in at Berkeley. You are exactly <laughs> who I think about when I think about Berkeley, bro. Mm, yep. Yep, <laughs> indeed. Which is pretty amazing because, um, but that's a joke. Uh, Joe is pretty much the antithesis of Berkeley. Um, but man, you've been there for a long time now. How long have you been ministering there now, bro? Um, it's okay. well, it came up in 2003, so yeah, a while almost 20 years. It's, it's getting me that is incredible. Yeah. So, um, Joe and I go way back, we went to the same youth group. Um, you know, when we were in high school, I actually met Joe when I was in ninth grade, and Joe, you were in what seventh or eighth grade. If you were ninth, I was seventh. Yeah, yeah. He was in seventh grade, and my first memory of Joe um, is I was the count. I was like on staff for a junior high retreat, and um, we were waiting for the kids to go to sleep because we were gonna we were gonna raid them. We were going to uh, you know draw on them with markers and you know put toothpaste on them and stuff like that. And um, you know we're waiting. It's like it's like one in the morning or something like that. And this one kid won't go to sleep. And I don't know this kid. He's like a new kid from out of town. And he's so annoying. And he won't go to sleep. I'm like, go to sleep, kid. He's like, no. You guys are going to raid us. (laughs) So even (laughs) even in seventh grade, Joseph was um, perceptive (laughs) and stubborn and kind of annoying, right? All... (laughs) All those yeah. things combined, and um, but yeah, we both went to um, undergrad at Berkeley, and we've been good friends now for a, a long time. And we did ministry together. Um, we helped plant um, a church and house of prayer. And Joe basically stayed up there long term, and I I left the Bay Area, thank God. Um, but Joe, you know, you've gone through quite a bit of a change over the years, bro. Like I was remembering. Um, you know, even as late, you know, when we were doing ministry in the early, well, this was like mid two thousands and you were all about, you know, you're all about love. I remember it was like, oh, but we're just going to love people We're you know, like, and you would hate those like religious Bible thumping legalistic, you know, Christians. And (laughs) now you are one of those guys, bro. So how oh, how man. did how did that happen? Yes. Well, how did that happen? Oh, I know how it happened. It was it was during that time when you know the Lord was just moving and He was really highlighting um, holiness in a very just. Uh, strong strong way in the beginnings of naos and you know you know even that summer i remember that summer i don't know what summer it was summer of 2012 or 13 whatever it was um but you know we were doing naos and then you and i were pretty much leading those prayer meetings all throughout the week and there was the spirit of god was definitely moving uh in a in a in a powerful way to bring conviction of lukewarmness particularly i remember um that was one thing that was really being highlighted and we were praying on a lot and 
students were getting convicted like crazy. Um, and, you know, students from all, you know, all over, like all different kinds of churches and fellowships were coming to these prayer meetings. And, you know, cause the spirit was obviously moving. There was, there was, there was real conviction there um, to turn from lukewarmness and God was really emphasizing the holiness, his holiness. And then therefore the holiness that he wants in his people. And then that, that led to this in, in just life change, literally life changing uh, conviction from the Lord uh, about the fear of God. And that, that really was what it was for me. That's what changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was in those prayer meetings, seeking the Lord with our whole hearts and the Lord bringing this heavy, heavy conviction of holiness. Um, and then in the scripture, you know, reading and reading about the fear of God in the scripture and absolutely being, being totally blown away by it. completely just crushed with the conviction of the fear of the Lord and how this was so important, how this is really, I believe, what it was it 10 years later or more maybe more or 10 years later i still believe that this is the 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 main message that the lord has for the church in america it is the fear of the lord it's to return to the fear of god and so that's that's really what it was that was that was like the the whole turning point for me you know from the from a you know only charismatic you know, intimacy, you know, all about intimacy with God intimate and which it is obviously still, mm -hmm. uh, but there's so much more to being intimate with the Lord than just, you know, you know, the stuff that we grew up with in, in the charismatic movement. And so that, that, that's what it was. It was, it was the revelation uh, from the scripture about the fear of the Lord. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and that's, that yeah. changed everything for me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's actually pretty amazing because um, that was what back in like 2010 or something like that, um, cause I was there, that was the end of basically my time in, in, in Berkeley, um, doing mm -hmm. ministry up there. Um, but I really took that season as a correction from, from God. And, yeah. um, you know, we had planted, um, the ministry that we were with at that time, you know, and our emphasis was all about the love of God, how we can rest in his love and in his mercy, we can abide in him. And that season, when Neos was first starting, it really felt like a correction from the Lord. Like, yeah. hey, like this is an important aspect of who I am, right? My affection, my love, my mercy. Um, but you guys, there's there's a part of me that you've been neglecting like crazy, and it just felt like God was correcting us. And I felt really corrected and you know chastened by the Lord and like um, you know just a, a a good repentance and a good. Uh, return to to biblical balance uh, on the on this issue, you know, yeah. and um, I felt like it really that I've carried that also right um, mm -hmm. with me for these past ten years. David Kim, who leads Contend, who I had on the podcast before, he was part of those meetings also. I think it's really interesting that the three of us um, and you know many others that were part of that those meetings, we got these convictions that have stayed with us, you know for the past 10 years and you know now we're in now cultural context where um the three of us are actually speaking very forcefully about stuff that i think you know the reason why we're able to speak this forcefully and clearly about this is because of that conviction that we received ar ar around that time 10 years ago you know I i'm sure there are other things involved but you know 
I, I haven't been with you for the past 10 years. We've been apart in totally different areas, you know, um, and yet we find ourselves sharing a lot of similar conviction. And I think a lot of it does come back to, at its core, a real appreciation for the fear of the Lord, for the judgments of God. They're not evil. God's not a mean-hearted person or something like that, right? Um, he hasn't changed. You know, he's still the same. And so we, you know, because we have all these shared assumptions in our theology and our convictions, things like that, it's just naturally led us to a lot of agreement, you know, when it comes to things like um, social justice, funnily enough, you know, yeah. and a lot of this, because a, a lot of these themes that are pop- have become popular in the culture really draw from this idea of mercy and love that is not a real biblical, biblically defined mercy and love. Something right. like that, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that what what the world and sadly what so much of the church today calls justice and mercy, um, or even what they would say call equity, is is not is not actually that. Uh, you know, there is a, a there is a historical pattern of. Uh, People on the left and uh, also Marxists and other uh, despots, but there is a historical pattern of changing definitions, right? And that's that's literally what we've been seeing for quite some time now from the left today, uh, with the whole you know woke movement today. It, it they they are changing the definitions of words. Right. And uh, it's it's kind of amazing, you know. Even like you know Webster Dictionary uh, and Oxford Dictionary, they 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 are also following uh, in with this um, kind of this uh, reconstructing. Yeah, I saw of, that of everything, you know, by even changing definitions that have yeah. been historically, you know, you know that have precedent for for decades, decades and decades, centuries even. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right on. Like, things like racism, the definition of racism has completely changed, you know, yep. in the past 40 years, right? Um, justice, right? Yep. Oppression, justice, these have all been kind of redefined in our culture through a Marxist lens now, right? But mm-hmm. I have to think a lot of this really comes from um, Christianity because it's yeah. really the church that has changed these definitions in some ways, right? And so when we're talking about love, I think love is a perfect example because love is such a, you know, it's such a robust word. You can mean so many things by the English word love. And, um, you know, these days in the church, there's so much emphasis that God is love and that he's loving. Um, I was just listening to um, that song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I actually really like Corey Asbury. I think he's a phenomenal worship leader. Um, I really appreciate him. But, you know, I know that there's been this whole controversy with that song about that terminology, reckless, you know. And my my personal take is I tend to be, you know, a lot more lenient and forgiving for artists especially. I'm like, hey, you know, let's try and get what they mean, right? When John Mark McMillan is, like, talking about a sloppy wet kiss, right? I don't think he's literally saying that God gives a sloppy wet kiss. It's it's like a sloppy wet kiss. Like he's trying to convey a meaning of extravagant love and we've got to give him some, you know, latitude on that without, you know, otherwise they 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 can only use precise theological words 
in all of the songs. We're just kind of repeating lyrics all the time. So I actually appreciate that kind of artistic expression, but I was just listening to it just the other day, and I just did not feel comfortable with the expression of you know, how God's love, it breaks through every wall, right? It breaks through every mountain. It never stops pursuing. It never, it's, you know, it never stops going after us. And in my mind, I'm just like, yes, it does. Like, Mm. there is a place at which the love of God stops pursuing us. Mm. And, like, that's what I mean. Like, this idea of biblical love, from my perspective, um, it seems very different than the love that is preached about a lot in on Sunday sermons, um, and but in Christian music that we listen to, it seems like there's this huge emphasis, especially these days, about how loving God is, how merciful, like it, there's no end, right? For what can I? Your love has no end, and um, you know, to be honest, I don't feel comfortable singing that that line anymore. You know, even though again, I love Phil Wickham, but it does. I mean, it does. There's a point at which God says, "Nope, that's it." And that's, that's what judgment is all about, right? That's, you know, that's the point. It's like he gives us time to repent. He gives us, you know, opportunity. Um, but there is a point at which he, he draws the line. Now, I have to think as I'm talking about that, I, I'm thinking, oh, shoot, actually, that's a pretty Arminian way of thinking about it. I bet your way of thinking about it might be a little bit different. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, there there is a sense in which I agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in the sense of God's... Uh, general love (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 indeed yeah for sure man absolutely there there is a sense in which you know god's love general love for people you know in his his love and kindness towards people in calling them to repent in sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to call them to repentance to turn from their wicked ways so that they wouldn't be destroyed justly by the righteous wrath of god Absolutely. That does absolutely come to an end. He's long suffering and that long suffering does come to an end at different points. And, and, and what you see in the scripture and, and the people freak out about that. Right. And, and, and it's honestly, that's terrifying to me because it just shows how, you know, biblically illiterate the church has become in America, right. That, that you can literally quote scripture to them and they'll say, Whoa, no, that's not God. Right. I mean, that's, that's literally happened, you know, yeah. where I, I will literally quote Bible verse and people will tell me that's not god god would never do that and that's it's it's a really terrifying thing it's a terrifying thing to come across you know um and so you know yeah i mean there's a hermeneutic to this right there's this hermeneutic Mm -hmm. where well that's pre-cross right the cross has changed everything right Mm -hmm. jesus paid for all of that you know stuff that god had to punish prior to the cross now that jesus has paid for all of that you know, none of that applies. So when you're quoting, especially Old Testament passages, right, a lot of people already have a, a lens of interpretation where they're just like, oh, that doesn't apply anymore. That's right. th- that's what I find a lot. Yeah, for sure. And and again, it does, it, it's still, right, it, it, absolutely. And 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 that, that false uh, teaching it is popularized by a lot of different people, right? Mainstream evangelicalism, you know, you know, charismatics as well. I mean, it's that, that kind of idea is, is propagated a lot and people find a lot of comfort in that. It's like, Oh, finally a way that I can like stay in my, you know, my, my own image of God that I have made the finally a way that I can keep that image of God that I like 
and reconcile it with the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament God, right? And, and so a lot of people find comfort in that. But the, the problem is, is that the New Testament is filled with passages of God's judgment. Right? And right. So, so again, it, has, it comes back to, you know, biblical illiteracy. You know, people aren't really seeking the Lord the way that the Lord commanded, which is through his word, right? In prayer and his word by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and so, you know, Luke 11, or was it 13? I always get those two mixed up. Luke 11 or 13, right? The Tower of, Sol- the Tower of Siloam falls and kills 18 people and they come and tell jesus jesus do you hear about the tower that fell and killed 18 people and he's like yeah um do you think you're any less a sinner so stop sinning or else you'll you will come to the same fate right i.e he's saying that that was the judgment of god against them right and then he, he also includes Pilate, right oh did you hear about Pilate? like he killed all these people right and he you know mixed their blood with the whatever i forgot and then and then jesus said the same thing again he's like oh do you think you're any less a sinner so turn from your sin, right? And, and so, it, you know, Jesus acknowledging the reality of the interim judgment of God, even then, right? Even in the days of his flesh. And then obviously Ananias of Phyra. Uh, and then people say, well, that's Christians. You know, like God has, you know, he he does, you know, he, he disciplines Christians, you know. And so that was discipline to end their lives because they could have, you know, gone on to sin even worse, which may be true. And, but then they say that, Oh, but God wouldn't do that to non-Christians, right? See, the cross, oh, we're in the season of grace. We're so he only kills gr- Christians. Right, as as a loving discipline to stop wow. them from continuing into greater sin that they might lose their salvation later on. Right? Wow. I, I mean, I don't want to make fun of that because I don't know, I, I, I don't, I haven't heard, you know, a defense like that before from somebody, mm-hmm. but that's really interesting. So they think God will kill Christians, but he won't kill non-christians mm-hmm. he, wow. he won't yeah he won't judge he won't bring interim judgment on non-christians because we're in the mm. season of grace oh, and even even for for christians it's not like judgment in the sense of like you know like uh you know damnation it's just it's just oh in my mercy i'll take you now so that you don't keep sinning yeah but again the problem is with that is that god still kills non-christians in the new testament Acts chapter 12 being one of them, right? King Herod, right? They say the voice, uh, he, Herod comes into the Colosseum wherever, or wherever they were. And then the, everyone starts chanting the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man. And it's because he did not give glory to God, the angel of the Lord struck him dead. Right, right. Right then and there, right? And and he was a pagan, right? He was not a Christian, right? Right. So God kills him on the spot in yeah. interim judgment. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's all throughout, and then the book of Revelation, obviously, right? You can't read that and be like, whoa, right. man, God's, you know, God's a God of righteous wrath, and he's He's not to be trifled with. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I think we're, you know, largely agreed on this, and, um, you know, I think a one, one way that our, uh, we have a little bit of disagreement is um, when we get kind of in the more practical side of stuff, like... Um, you know, famously, you know, you're you're the you're the pastor that my old you know college kids, like they're oh yeah, Pastor Joe, <laughs> like like some of them were telling me when they went to Azusa, um, Azusa, Pasadena, you know, um, mm. and you know Bethel was there leading worship, yeah, and they're afraid to worship because you're like over there, like, they're afraid. Of- I don't oh no! Um, but this is kind of a, a famous, you know, 
you're somewhat infamous for your hatred of Bethel and things like mm. that. And so I thought that'd be kind of fun for us to talk about. Um, this is an area where you and I disagree, although, you know, we do have a lot of agreements um, in this area. I do think that, um, you know, Bethel has some weaknesses. I think every church, you know, has weaknesses if you if you look closely enough. Um, but I think Bethel's weaknesses are pretty pronounced for the times that we're living in. You know what I mean? Um, because we are fighting this issue um, of national righteousness, calling the nation to repentance and things like this. And um, some of Bethel's teachings, I know that they do tend to downplay, you know, the judgment of God. And, you know, they, they don't, they, they say that um, God never judge, like ne- negative things like earthquakes and things like that. Those are never from God. They're always from the enemy. Um, I remember I was reading, um, you know, Frank Bartleman, his, his memoirs of the Azusa Street Revival, and he was talking about in his time, this was like over 100 years ago, there was an earthquake in San Francisco, and um, the preachers rushed to comfort the people and tell them the earthquake was not from God. And mm. he was so grieved in his heart um, because he's like, the earthquake you know, is, is sent to bring repentance, humility and repentance. And yeah. so when the, when the preachers tell, tell everyone it's not from God, they are you know, undermining the very purpose of, of these types of judgments, which is to bring humility and warn the people and lead them to repentance. And so I say that to say, I do see some of that in Bethel's teaching and theology. And I know that when, um, you know, the way that they do evangelism, not just them, but lots of ministries now, you know, a lot of times there's no clear call for repentance, right? It's just like, God loves you. He thinks you're so amazing, right? He he has a great destiny for your life, but there's no call to repentance. And so um, on that note, I appreciate Todd White. I don't know if you saw that. Todd White um, did a public repentance um, on that issue. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was really glad about that, you know, so I appreciate Mm -hmm. that because I, I've seen Todd White teach on holiness and repentance and how important that is. And so that that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I tend to feel like, you know, the Bethel leaders, they do believe in repentance. It's just, they think the best way to get people to repent is not to talk explicitly about it, something like that. Right. And, um, I don't think that is wise because we don't see that biblically, right? We see Jesus very explicitly calling for repentance, right? We see the apostles very explicitly calling for repentance. So I I don't think that that's wise, this idea that we should just be as, as loving and nice in the hopes that this kind of kindness will lead people to repentance. That can happen, but that's not the model that we're given in the Bible. So I say all that to say, these are some areas where I agree with you. I think that there are some serious problems here, but when I look at Bethel as a whole, I don't see anything that comes to where I would draw the line in terms of major versus minor error, right? And I think you'd probably draw that line differently than I do. And for you, they're in major error. It's they they should be called out as false teachers and false prophets. So I mean, why don't you explain a little bit? Why do you think? you know, um, Bill Johnson and Chris Valentine, why do you think that they meet that level of being a false teacher? Yeah. It, well, this is a huge topic. So I, I think if I could just boil it down to be as simple as possible um, and concise as possible, I think there are several major points that I think are, are, not, pri- are, are, not, are not secondary, but are primary issues. I think one of them, <clears throat> one of them, I think the, one of the major ones for me is they fit the, their pattern of teaching fits exactly and precisely the pattern of teaching of the old Testament false prophets. 
right? So it, what you have in, in, in Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Lamentation, you know, Ezekiel, and all throughout, right? You have we have a very clear uh, teaching from God on what He calls a false prophet, right? What He says is a false prophet. And in those passages, you know, I've, I've, I've went through, you know, the prophets and I, I've studied what God says is a false prophet. <clears throat> and what, what I've seen, what I found is that, you know, Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin, they literally fit that pattern perfectly. Their pattern of teaching, not, not like an oopsie, I made a mistake one Sunday on a sermon, right? The, their consistent pattern of doctrine fits the exact um, the, the, the pattern that God tells us and shows us is a false prophet. One of them obviously is, you know, that they, they speak against judgment, right? They speak against God. You know, anything, uh, Chris Valentin went so far as to say that anyone who says that the earthquake would be from God has the spirit of stupid on them, right? That's what he said, literally. Right. If you say that God would bring a, an earthquake in judgment, then you have the spirit of stupid and not of God. Right. That, that's a that's a terrifying thing to say, because then Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos. I mean, all all of the prophets of the of the scriptures, John the Baptist, John, the apostle, Jesus Christ himself have the spirit of stupid then because they all said that God brings these devastating judgments, natural disasters, sword, diseases, all these things are, are things that the Bible says God brings in judgment. So um, they, they fit this pattern of denying the interim judgment of God, that God would do anything negative, right? And you see that all throughout the Old Testament as God saying, this is what the false prophets say. This is what uh, in Jeremiah 14, 13, it says, but, ah, oh, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying there will be no sword or famine in this land. By the sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. Right. And that's just one. Right. I mean, there's many passages like that in the, in, in the scriptures where God is talking about the false prophets and what they say. One of the consistent things things that the false prophets say, they speak against interim judgment. They say, no, 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 <laughs> no earthquake, you know, no, no war, no civil war, no third world war, no disease, you know, no pestilence from God, at least. Um, but, uh, but in the context, obviously, it's God who's going to bring all these things, right? And right. so, and he says it over and over and over again. So that's number one. Number one is they fit that pattern that God sets forth as who is a false prophet. Right. right. Let me let me respond to that before you yeah. jump into number two. Sure. So I hear you, and I think that I, I think that is a problem. I really do. Um, which I laid out, you know, at the beginning. To me, that doesn't meet the level of major heresy, um, and and for a couple of reasons, right? Number one, I mean, we should clarify the the Bible is not 
totally clear about what constitutes major versus minor wrong teaching, right? So th those are lines that um, we're going to disagree on throughout the body, right? So everybody draw those, draws those lines a bit differently. There are ones of widespread agreement, like we're evangelicals, right? So we tend to draw that line in places like, you know, you have to have a born-again experience, right, where you repent and things like that. And if somebody teaches something different, no, you don't need to be born again if you grew up a Christian, you know, and you got baptized when you were two years old or whatever, then you're saved, right? Well, that's kind of, that, that would be a major difference, right, that we would probably agree mm -hmm. on as evangelicals. So I'm just trying to give some context for people who are listening to this and they may not be as familiar with some of these types of controversies. Um, for sure. So for Bethel, um, yeah, I do think that's a problem. Um, but because they believe in final judgment, right, and they're still calling people to repent and to believe in Jesus, and if you don't do that, right, then you will be condemned for eternity. I believe they're still consistent in teaching that. So in my mind, okay, that would be the level at which if they, if they decided, you know what, we don't like, we don't like this whole final judgment thing and we're not going to teach that anymore. We're going to teach something opposite. Then I think that would draw the line, draw that line. I tend to be a little more, um, because I'm not sure where that line is, I try and I try and draw it a little wider than I think you do. I think you're a little bit stricter on a lot of these things. For me, I do see the bad fruit of that. The thing is, there's so many churches right now and Christians that deny interim judgments, right? And the difference, by the way, between interim and final judgment is the final judgment is kind of this, you know, the the heaven or hell judgment, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the age, something like that. Interim judgments are judgments before that period, right? Where God is sending earthquakes or wars or famines on nations. And um, so Joe and I both agree that God does that today. But I would say that's almost a minority position, it seems like, now in the church in America. I don't know if that's true, because um, I, I haven't done, seen a major poll. But at least, you know, we're out here in California. In California, it sure seems like it's a minority position amongst yeah, Christians sure. over here, right? And yeah, so, um, you know, my uh, here's the way I tend to feel about stuff like this. I tend to feel like that even though this is an important issue and the the reason why there's so like all of this social justice and Marxism has come in, I think, because of the church's bad doctrine on these issues. That's why the church has become now split over this because of our of our bad doctrine on this. So I think this bad doctrine is leading to massive apostasy because a lot of people are, you know, because of this doctrine, all this bad teaching is coming in and it's leading them. I know many more liberal Christians who no longer want to be identified as evangelical. They don't mm -hmm. consider themselves evangelical anymore, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's that is, I think, right. Because they're not evangelical, right? They don't right. want they, they don't believe this core set of doctrine that demarcates evangelicals. Uh, and I would feel very comfortable saying those people are not Christian. I do not recognize them as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So that's kind of where I draw that line. So uh, it's dangerous, but I don't feel like it's there. It's like Todd White. Todd White, you know, he's not giving explicit calls for repentance, which I think you have to do, right? But I think mm -hmm. inside he does want them to repent and eventually when he's confronted by the evidence and all this kind of stuff, he's like, you know what? There's a real point here and I, and I'm wrong. I, mm -hmm. I have a lot of hope that that's more where, you know, the Bethel leaders are. And, you know, to be fair to them, 
I don't actually listen to a lot of Bethel stuff. So, you know, I don't know. Like, maybe they have been making explicit calls for repentance, you know, and I just don't know about it. Yeah. Uh, so, well, yeah, there, there's, there's a, this goes like, yeah. this gets big because then we have to start defining what heresy is, right? Right. And that's, yeah. that gets sticky too because you're right. There, it's The Bible doesn't say heresy is... Blah, 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 blah. Although it does give us, you know, several things that if you deny these things, then you're not a Christian. But um, I think one thing that really helped me in understanding and because I, you know, contrary to what a lot of people believe, you know, like, I really think that being able to discern false teaching from right teaching and false teacher from correct teacher, I think this is a critical issue. Like, I mean, absolutely critical, especially as the day draws near. And I think that the New Testament makes that really plain, right? Every single letter in the, in the New Testament pretty much is to address some kind of heresy. Right. And, and it talks about over and over and over again, you know, Uh, and, and, and there is, I I think when we, when we read revelation, right. Just seeing how the, in the end, how authority will be given to the, 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 the antichrist and the beast and the false prophet, to deceive the people, right? I mean, to the, you know, even to do signs and wonders and miracles to deceive the people, right? There's, there is, I think, a clear, consistent um, refrain in the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament as well. But, but the Bible, this refrain to be discerning, right? right. To, to know, to be, to be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, right, and, and truth and lie, and so. You know, uh, one thing that really helped me uh, in in really seeing this and understanding and being able to discern better was really studying Second Peter two. You know, like and obviously the prophets, um, but Second Peter two, right? He really he, he just lays it out real simple. You know, it's it's he, he says, look, just like before, false pro- just as false prophets arose back then, false teachers will arise among you too. Just just know mm-hmm. this, okay? False teachers will arise. Mm-hmm. Many will just like Jesus prophesied in the days of his flesh, right? Many false prophets will arise. Um, and the way that Peter described these false prophets arising, I think is it, it changed everything for me personally, right? In terms of how to discern what is false teaching, what is heresy and what is not, right? And basically what he says is he, he says that fault, uh, the, what they will do is they will secretly introduce destructive heresies right secretly introduce right and so the you know studying that a little bit you know that that the greek secretly introducing you know the idea is not like i'm gonna hide it under my cloak right and then secretly introduce it the idea that word in the greek literally means to bring alongside right to bring alongside and so what it is really is that these false teachers have this here hey this is orthodoxy. Here's big orthodoxy. And then with big orthodoxy, I'm going to bring along this little piece of extra stuff. Okay. And, 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 but most of it's orthodox. Okay. And then, but I'm just going to bring alongside secretly introduce because what is the, the, the implication is that there's a lot of good teaching happening. Right. And, and then this bad teaching is just, it's just kind of, 
subtly bringing being brought in slowly right and secretly in that sense right secretly in the sense that it's being brought alongside lots of truth and that's something that man that that changed everything for me when in terms of discerning learning to discern what how the scripture god teaching us how to discern false teaching is we have to understand that it's not going to be like jesus is not god right it's not it's not going to be that most of the time i mean 99 of the time it's going to be jesus is lord you have to repent and believe in him he died on the cross he was fully god fully man he rose again on the third day he's forever reigning on high seated at the right hand of god oh and um this thing right I mean, this this thing that that but that's consistent it's not an accident it's a consistent piece being brought in and what it is is eventually it's destructive when it bears its fruit right and so when i look at bethel i see that exact same thing i studied bethel's teaching for months right because you know again there's a long story but i was forced to do it i really by god i didn't want to i hated it uh but i did it i i, I sat down and i just listened to all the Bethel sermons I could fully, not not sound bites. Read the books, you know, like all that kind of stuff. I, I listened to endless hours of their sermons. Um, and what I saw was a lot of good stuff from Bill Johnson, particularly. Chris Valentin is literally, I, I cannot respect anyone that respects Chris Valentin. After listening to him for many, 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 many hours, he is a belligerent false prophet. I He's boisterously heretical. And I just don't understand how anyone can respect him. I don't respect anyone that respects Chris Valentin. Bill Johnson, on the other hand, is very different. He's the subtle kind of heretic. He's not like out there, you know, saying really, really heretical, stupid things like Chris Valentin is all the time. Bill Johnson is very subtle. He, 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 and he actually says a lot of good stuff. Man, when I was studying him, there were so many times when I was like, whoa. Like, that's good. <laughs> like, that's good stuff, man. Like, that's sound. That's biblical. That's like, that's great conviction. Like, that's great understanding of the scripture, right? And, and so, and, and I've, I saw that a lot with Bill Johnson. But then at the same time, what I saw was this consistent pattern of a Marcionistic kind of heresy. And what I mean by that is just simply is the first century heretic, first, second century heretic Marcion essentially he was a Gnostic character, right? Which again, boiling it down is old Testament, God, bad new Testament, Jesus, good. Right. And that's essentially, you know, essentially, I mean, you know, obviously it's kind of, uh, you know, sure. I, I know it's really brief, but, um, that's essentially what it was, right. Old Testament, God, bad, mean, oh, wrathful, uh, punishing and all this kind of stuff. New Testament, God, merciful, gracious, dignify dig, uh, shows the dignity of humanity and all these kinds of that's marcian that's why you know uh but anyway so that i i saw this consistent pattern where in bill johnson and chris felton there was this kind of a constant slighting a constant sliding of the old testament of, of the god of the old testament of the of the judgments of god of the wrath of god um, uh, of, of, you know, the terrible, terrible, terrible things that God does in his wrath to people. Like he, he said, I will make you eat the flesh of your children, right? right? As judgment, right? As, right? I will make you eat the flesh of your children, right? And it's crazy, right? But right. God said that. God said that. And, and, and so, you know, there's this constant slighting of the Old Testament, wrathful Old Testament God, and this constant uplifting over against that God 
Jesus, right? right. And, and one, one of the ways that that's typified in Bethel's teaching, and if anyone that follows Bethel, if anyone follows Bethel, they know, they've heard Bill Johnson talk about Jesus is perfect theology, okay? Right. You, you know, he is a very common teaching of his. And essentially what that is, when you boil it down, is that very thing. It's a Marcionistic heresy of, oh yeah, that Old Testament stuff, but... Jesus is perfect theology. And so if I don't see it in Jesus, i.e. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then right. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to hold too much weight to it. And that's, yeah. that to me is a terrifying thing, yeah. uh, especially coming from a globally renowned Bible teacher, yeah. um, someone who calls himself a pro an apostle and someone who calls himself a, a prophet, Chris Valentin. It, it's a terrifying thing. You know, they're, they're held to a higher standard. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, they're, it, they're, they're consistent, secretly introducing of destructive heresies, I think is more than enough for me. Again, you know, trying to define these things, you know, according to the scripture, uh, when I see it, I see, I see what the Bible explains as a false teacher, really, I do. And so, right. So yeah. let me, let me push back, because first yeah. of all, you make a lot of great points. Okay, you're making a lot of great points. I am just as concerned about the issue that you're talking about, I think, is you are. The issue that yeah. you're talking about, the false teaching that you're talking about, I think is very destructive in the church. Um, w the only difference we have is who we're ready to label as false teachers, something like that. Sure. Um, and um, so 2 Peter 2 is is the passage that you're quoting. And I think it, it, this is a, a, a really important passage, I think, for this idea of false teachers, right? And you talked at length about this idea of secretly introducing destructive heresies. That's verse one. Um, and verse two goes on to say, many will follow their depraved conduct, right? And will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And throughout this passage is weave this idea of of bad teaching, and the, and it, it tends to be this idea of preaching grace as a license for sin, right? Sure. Preaching grace as a license for sin. I can sin because I've been forgiven already, something like that, right? God, mm -hmm. Jesus' blood is so amazing, I can sin. It's it's not a problem. And, um, you know, later on in that chapter, it talks about, um, this is verse you know, 18, 19, for they mouth empty boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning." Now, that has major implications for soteriology, but we won't <laughs> sure go does. into that right now. Um, but I, I will say that it's it, this idea of their teaching and their conduct yeah. mirroring one another, right? Yeah. So the, the idea is they're justifying sinful behavior through their theology, right? Yes. So that, to me, is a huge um, component when we're trying to discern false teachers. We have to look at their conduct as well. Right. And mm -hmm. this and this is where look, I, I don't know Bill and Chris super well personally or anything. I've been to Chris's house. I've had conversations with him. Um, I, I don't know, right? But I have never heard serious allegations of depraved conduct brought against them. 
right? Yeah. And I, I tend to be skeptical that they would be living in any kind of, you know, outright practicing sinful type of behavior situation, right? Mm -hmm. So that to me is actually a pretty big component here, right? Like, and, and the reason, the reason I say that is this, because what you're describing, the error that you're uh, attributing to them, I, look, I got to think that's like 90% of the church in America right now, man. Yeah, that is a, a huge, like, if we're talking like that's the level for false teachers, Bro, like ninety percent of our pastors are false teachers, you know. Yes. And, and I think you do draw that line there. They are. I, I think you're pretty consistent, you know. I I'm just not prepared to you know, to carve out ninety percent of the church, right? But I do appreciate your consistency on this. Um, I I you know I tend to see it in this type of a fashion that yes, this is a major problem in the church, and it is leading lots of people astray, right? It is creating a huge open door for them to be to to buy into greater and greater error. And that's actually what we're seeing right now. So I, I think the effect is actually really terrible. I just think that, you know, maybe the period where you know God gives time for the church to repent, right? That's an important period. And um, I see uh, us more in that period where, yeah, the fruit of this teaching is so destructive and it is leading many people astray. And the church is, you know, suffering terribly from this. But, you know, if all these people died today, I, I, I think they would, I still think they would go to heaven. I still consider them brothers and sisters in the faith. That, that's more, that's more where I am. Sure. Yeah, I, I understand. And, and I think that I, I, I get that. I, I fully agree that your doctrine will always reflect in your action, right? How you live, right? And so one thing that, you know, I think is w- what I would point to in that with Bethel and Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin in the fruit of their teaching is, yeah, I don't think that, you know, they're out there, you know, going around, you know, having affairs and like committing adultery or, you know, whatever, doing whatever, doing drugs or what, I don't know, whatever the heck. I don't, I don't think they're doing that. Um, you know, but what I do think, and I, I don't think that, uh, most people, um, are, are readily maybe seeing it as evil, lustful conduct is that Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin's teaching, another part of their teaching that is heretical to me is that their teaching is thoroughly man-centered, right? It is humanistic, Right. And, and, and we went through, a, a, you know, a, a, a long period where the Lord was really speaking strongly to both of us about humanism in the church. Right. right. Uh, and and, you know, they are humanistic through and through. Right. And one thing that I found consistently in their teaching is that man is the high point of their sermons. And Jesus is either not there or he's the subtitle. Right. He's kind of like the supporting actor. And then it's you, you know, like you are amazing, you know, like you like. You know, I, Chris Valentin, one sermon, I just, I just, I, I just, you know, it's just one of those things. He's, just, he had everyone stand up, right? And everyone, he said, everyone repeat after me. I like me or something like that. I forgot the exact, he's like, God likes me. I like me. If you knew me, you'd like me too. All right. I am powerful. I am beautiful. I am, th- it's pure utter humanistic spirit, you know, uh, humanistic pagan heathen guru nonsense. It's garbage. Right. And, and it's, it, and, and 
their their teachings are consistently like that bill johnson as well right Uh, you know he obviously is more eloquent in it and and you know we'll talk more about the bible in it but at the end of the day it's it's always you are the center of everything and so what i would say is their lifestyles fit their false teaching in that and the fruit of the lifestyles of the people that follow them closely fit that right they're very humanistic right every single bethel person that i've encountered i've I've talked to bethel leaders i've talked to bethel people you know that went through the school you know that were leading in the school that were staffed at the school i'm you know i've i've had you know you know i'm being in berkeley we're only like three and a half hours away right people from bethel will come down to berkeley all the time to evangelize you know on the berkeley campus i've talked to many bethel people throughout the years um and it's consistent uh their 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 perception of christianity and of god is utterly humanistic and their lives show it with prosperity stuff right i mean that's just one thing prosperity stuff is just one thing uh you know i'm not saying that god you know doesn't provide uh, you know it's always what people jump to is like, oh you, you know you're saying that god won't provide a good job or a, a good house or whatever no i'm not saying that at all like i mean god could provide all of those things it's just that those things at the end of the day don't matter right they don't matter right? Praise the Lord. You got a house from the Lord. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. But the moment it's gone, it's not, you know, it's gone. It's just a house, right? But the emphasis becomes on living like that, that these are the signs that you are blessed by God, that you do get a high paying job, that you do get that big house, you do get that nice car. And that really is the lifestyle that they live in, right? And and you see that all throughout, you know, you know, I've, you know anyway, anyway, so yeah. what I would say is that their life shows that they do lead people into lust as second peter says and it's the lust for self-glory it's the lust for self-satisfaction for self-fulfillment right and again their their teachings are thoroughly their 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 pre-service offering offering tithe and offering mantras show that thoroughly uh you know it's it's just it's literally one long mantra of self-glorification uh, and, and, you know, it's, it, so what I would say is, yes, they, they fit that pattern of second Peter too. It's just not like in outright crazy sexual morality or, although they did have that at the Bethel school of supernatural, I, my friend that came out of there told me, was telling me, uh, you know, he told me he was there for, I forgot two years. Um, but he'd tell me like, they're like, kids were sleeping around with each other and that the leaders knew about it. And, you know, they tried to address it, but at the end of the day, what the leaders said is what the, they've been, they've been taught by Chris and Bill, which is we're not here to call out people in sin. We're here to call out the golden people. Okay. So, so, so that's one of my friends, you know, literally went up to Bethel just a couple of months ago or right before COVID or whatever it was, but, uh, and they, they actually talked to the senior pastor now, which is Bill Johnson's son. Uh, and he actually, he actually got to talk to him and he asked him straight up. He's like, Hey man, like, you know, your team's come down to, to, to Berkeley to preach the gospel, you know, and I've been really concerned with the gospel they've been preaching. Um, do you guys, you know, they just say that Jesus thinks you're amazing. And then they, they say that people get saved if they believe that. Right. And he's like, do you, do you not believe that you're supposed to call people to repent of their sins? Like Jesus does like. Jesus does <laughs> like, and then the, this was the response of the senior pastor at Bethel, which is Bill Johnson's own son, which he learned from his father, which is no, actually it's fine if other people do that, but it's not our calling. Like our calling is not to call people to repent of sin. We are called to call out the golden people. Right. That was what they, that's what he said, man. Wow. And that, again, that fits the pattern of false prophets in the, in what God says, a false prophet. 
Lamentations 2.14 says, your prophets have seen for you false visions, false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity, but they have seen from you false and misleading oracles. And so like, again, it, this is, it fits the pattern of what God says as a false teacher. They do not expose sin. True teachers should in love and in humility, knowing that we're sinful, right? We are full of sin. So we're not pointing other people like you're sinful. I'm not. It's like, dude, we're sinful. Like, let's see it so we can turn and be saved. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what a true prophet or true teacher should do. But they fit that pattern of exactly what God says a false prophet would do is they do not expose your iniquity so as to save you from so that you would be healed and saved from your captivity. And so again, uh, yeah, I yeah, hear you. So, I hear yeah. you. So l- let me get let me give a, a a short you know rebuttal on that, and then you know I, I do want to talk a, about another uh, topic. Even though this is fun, yeah. we've we, this is you know probably my third or fourth conversation with you on Bethel specifically. So for sure, I thought I'd put it make it public. It's kind of fun for people to listen to. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's the same thing. I agree with the criticisms, right? I the what you call humanistic. Um, I, I tend to refer to more as narcissistic, right? This idea of narcissistic mm-hmm. Christianity. It's all about me. God's always thinking of me, sure. right? And he, he wants me to live my best life now and whatnot. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's such a disease in the church as a whole, right? And it is, yeah. it is introduced through theology that teaches that essentially, you know, and, and I think that's a real misunderstanding of the scriptures. And so I share your concerns, you know, in that area. But again, it's the same thing. This is not a Bethel thing. This is, I I see this as a product of our culture, right? Our culture has become so humanistic and narcissistic. And so the churches reflect that. And here's where I would push back a little bit. I actually think Bethel does one of the best jobs at pushing back against different aspects of humanism. They may not do as good of a job pushing back against the narcissistic aspect, right? Mm -hmm. I I, I don't think they do push back very well against that. But Mm -hmm. One area that they really push back in is in the area of supernatural signs and wonders, right? This is one of the core tenets of humanism where there, you know, there is no nothing greater than humanity, right? Mm-hmm. There are no gods or things that we are to worship, right? We are the pinnacle of, you know, life and and but the whole teaching on the supernatural is inherently um, you know, offensive to the humanistic mindset. So I and that's one of Bethel's like main things, right? Mm-hmm. To to push forward, you know, healing and signs and wonders and all that. So that's an area where I actually really appreciate what they've done. And that's, you know, to summarize my view on a lot of this stuff, um, I tend to think that many leaders, most leaders, if not all leaders, have great strengths and great weaknesses, right? David yeah is an amazing, amazing leader, obviously, right? King David in the Bible. And obviously, he had some major weaknesses that cost him and the nation greatly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that pattern is generally true for almost everybody. I don't know if John the Baptist had a recorded real weakness, you know? But there are a couple in there that, you know, you're not sure exactly, is that a weakness? I'm not sure. But for the most part, most of the leaders in the Bible, it shows their their great weaknesses as well as their great strengths. And so that really tends to be my paradigm. Um, so I really try and honor people for their strengths, even if I see what I see as a significant weakness, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, 
I do feel like I see a lot of those weaknesses that you talk about. But to me, from my perspective, Bethel's strengths are are actually so great. Now, I understand from your perspective, it's like, well, those strengths are just helping to propagate all of their weaknesses. So it actually is worse, you know? So I, <laughs> I, get, I get that, right? I, I just feel like when we look at the fruit of the ministry, and that, I think, is the main, you know, the main thing that, you know, we have to discern false teachers, false prophets by what's the fruit. I tend to see, I do see some bad fruit, right? I do see some of the stuff that it's producing, but I also, I, I if I had to guess on a whole, I tend to think what they're producing is people that really try to live and actually do repent, even though they're not, you know, being taught explicitly or as, you know, as loudly as many other ministries. I, I, I have to think that a lot of people at Bethel do try and live holy lifestyles. They do encourage people to repent of sin. Do, do they, you know, struggle with things like accountability and judging within the church? I bet they do. But that's because, again, 90% of the churches that I have come across, they all struggle with that. I mean, I know most churches that I've worked with, they don't do church discipline, man. Like, you know, that's that to me is not a Bethel thing. That's something that I've criticized so many churches and leaders for in, in our own church too, right? Where, where, hey, we've got to practice church discipline as outlined in Matthew 18. Most churches don't, won't do it. Right. And so, uh, again, I, I see I see Bethel as, hey, we're all fighting this humanistic culture that is influencing all of us. And I feel like they're fighting better against it in some ways. And they're not really fighting and they're in some ways propagating it in some other ways. But again, I feel that way about so many different churches. And so, look, at the end of the day, I'll say this, Joe, you might be right, man. You might be right. Maybe they are false teachers and, um, you know, maybe I should be condemning them. I just personally don't see it right now, but I am prepared to, to do this. Like, God, we just pray that you'd show us the truth about this, Lord God. If they do constitute your definition of false teachers, we just pray for the conviction to, to understand that and then to declare it strongly. And, and conversely, Lord, we pray that if they're not false teachers, if there are dearly beloved brothers and sisters, we pray for that conviction too and that you would just show us because we just say we're all just trying to do our best, Lord, to follow you and, um, and to do your will. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let me, before I let you go, is it okay that we're going a little bit longer here? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Come on, brother. You preach for like two hours, so you got to be able to do an interview for. Come on. <laughs> okay. Easy. The last, last major um, topic that I want to hit with you is where do you think um, the U.S. Well, actually, no, no, no. Let me back up. Actually, I have, I, I, before I get to that, what are two things you love about the church in America? And then I want to hear two things that you hate about the church in America. But first, I want to hear two things that you love about the church in America. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. There's a lot I love about the church in America. Um, because, uh, well, I have to clarify and say the true church in America. Sure. I, I think there's a, a massive false church in America. The true, ch in, tr true church in America, I, the one thing I love about the true church is that in the face of what is increasing persecution right now uh, towards Christians, it's light. It's light. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to play the victim here. Right? It's not cry about it. It's super light. It, the, the kind of persecution we're getting right now is so pathetically small. But one thing that I'm seeing in the true church is that even with this light, tiny, tiny persecution that's happening and increasing, true Christians are getting louder, right, yeah. about speaking the truth that, that yeah. I'm, I'm actually really, really glad for a lot of, 
you know, brothers and sisters that are speaking the truth out there, you know, on social media, you know, in various platforms and their, whatever they're preaching and stuff like that. And they're getting louder. It's almost like that. It's, it's the right response, right? When the devil is attacking a certain area of Jesus, true Christians go there and attack back, right? Right. They don't run away from that and be like, oh, it's too controversial. Let's not touch that subject, you know, and just, you know, talk about other things. No, true Christians go to the fight and they defend the honor of the king, right? That's what they do, right? They, and so uh, I've seen that and it's awesome, you know, like, it's been amazing. I, I, I've been so encouraged seeing that, you know, like you talking, you know, speaking up very clearly, uh, uh, David, uh, David Kim, and, and many other people, you know, like speaking up very clearly against this kind of this satanic deception of, of wokeness in the church, especially among the church, um, and it's Marxist spirit. So that's one thing I really love is, is that actually the church is getting louder about speaking the truth. It's great. Uh, another thing I love about the true church is the one thing that I really appreciate and have appreciated this is just, you know, is the love with which the church loves each other in the face of hardship. I, this is something that I think is, is beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful, right? Again, in the church in America, our hardships are so small and, you know, we're like, we're puny little, you know, kindergarten Christians, you know, and our, our brothers and sisters overseas, you know, in like, you know, North Korea and, you know, China and, and, you know, the Middle East and stuff like that, they're like, you know, spiritual adults, right? And we're, we're kindergartners. But, but what I've seen also is during in this, in these days, you know, you know, as, you know, Christians are getting attacked, I've seen other Christians coming to their defense, right? In, in a good way, not in a bad way, not, not like, you know, uh, uh, just really defending each other, with truth, defending, coming to, coming to each other's aid uh, and helping each other navigate uh, these, these weird times, you know, that we're living in that, 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 you know, that being a Christian and speaking the truth of God in America is become, is quickly becoming the, the absolute worst thing you could do. Right. In, in the, in the eyes of the culture, right. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the most disgusting and most evil thing that you could do. And so, you know, me, you know, at, with seeing, you know, Christians coming, you know, and, and really supporting each other, loving each other in this process, uh, that this weird place that we're in, I think it's been really encouraging to me just seeing the love, you know, yeah. the love and the support of the church, uh, from the true church. Um, so that's, that's two things I, I've been really loving and appreciating lately. Yeah. Um, uh, two things I hate, uh, would be all, all, you know, it's, it's, and, and then we have to move to the, quote unquote church in America, right? Which is people that, you know, the church that calls themselves the church, but that is not the church, right? And there's many things that I hate about that, right? As well. So uh, one thing that I hate about the, the false church in America is that they um, they speak, that they, they do what Isaiah, that God said that Isaiah, to Isaiah, which was these people call evil good and good evil, right? That's what they do. Right. And Malachi said the same thing. Malachi chapter two, I believe it was where uh, the people started saying uh, uh, um, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. <laughs> oh, man, that, that's a scary thing. That's a scary, scary thing to say. Right. That everyone who does evil is good in the eyes of the Lord and he delights in them. Yeah. That is literally what the, the false church in America, that, that's that's what they believe. 
That's what they say in many different ways. That's what Bethel says in many different ways. Uh, that's what a lot of people say is, oh, you're, you're, you're not a believer. You're, you know, you're evil and you're, you just, you just are evil. I'm evil too, but you're just, you, you haven't repented of your sin and you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, you know, like everyone's good, you know, like God delights in everyone, you know, like the same, you know, like, and you know, you don't even have to believe God delights in you. He just loves you. He just delights. That's, that's literally not true though. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so that that's one thing I hate is that it is, this is what God hates too, obviously. And that's, that's why I hate it so much is that God hates it. God hates when people say in his name, they speak these lies that evil is good and good is evil, right? You know, that, that actually calling someone again, not with this pretentious, arrogant, you know, spirit, but like a, a heart of like, dude, like you got to stop sinning, man. Like if you keep sinning, you will be judged. But there's grace if you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, man. Like that's the cross, right? But you have to stop sin. You got to turn away from the sin. It's it's leading you to the wrath of God that you deserve if you stay that way, right? That 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 puny little gospel presentation that I just gave right now of of repent and believe, which is the two main things that you need when you preach the gospel: repent and believe, right? According to Jesus, that's like a no-no today. You know, in the church, in the quote unquote church, you don't do that. You don't talk about sin. You don't tell people to repent of their sin because then what's the implication? You're calling them evil. You can't call people <laughs> evil. People are not yeah. evil. Yeah. Right? People are good. You know, that, then that, that means you think that you're not evil and they're evil. No, it's like, it's like no, it's not any of that. It's, it, well, it, it's not that. It is that they're evil, though. It, it, I'm evil, too. They're evil. And, and we're all in the same boat. We need repent. We need to repent and, and believe in Christ, right? Or else we will be damned in eternal hell. So, um, so that which is good is being called evil in the church today, and that which is evil is being called good. Evil, i.e., I, there is a myriad of evil things today that are being called good in the church, uh, quote unquote church, right? Homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, uh, uh, wokeness, Marxism—you know, like all this stuff. Uh, the 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 today's leftist understanding of quote unquote racism, right? Which is evil and racist in it in itself, right? I mean, they're all there's so many people in the church in American church today that are saying that that's good, but they're really evil things, right? Uh, and so that's that's one thing. Another thing that I hate about the church in America is simply that they're cowards. And this is something that I I have really grown to hate a lot, especially being in Berkeley, being surrounded by cowards um, all over the place in Berkeley. Pastors, leaders, small group leaders. I know that makes me sound really arrogant. I don't give a crap, right? People that know me, I don't care, right? I don't care if people think I'm arrogant about that. It's just the truth. I'm sick of the cowards that I'm surrounded by that, that are speaking in the name of Christ, but that are actually cowards tucking tail and running when confronted with, with, are you going to actually tell the truth of Jesus and stand for Christ? Or are you going to, are you going to kowtow and capitulate to the culture and to the satanic spirit of the age? Right. And, and that's what you have As in Berkeley, all throughout America is all these Christians that are kowtowing, capitulating to the, to the spirit of the age, right? Cowards. Right. And that's a salvific issue. That's a primary issue as well. Right. God said in Revelation, clearly cowards, the cowardly will not enter the kingdom. That's what he said verbatim. And 
And that's what you see a lot in the, in the false church today is these cowards that call themselves pastors and preachers and podcast warriors or whatever the else, you know, have their YouTube channels and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. They're all, they're cowards, right? When they, when they do what they do, which is there, there are a lot of people that think that it's okay to just believe in your heart, the true things, but never speak it. Right. That, that's a, there's a lot of pastors that actually think that way, right? No, no, no. I, I, I believe that abortion is sin. I, I, I believe that, you know, uh, that homosexual, homosexual practice is a sin. Like, I believe that. I believe it. But, 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 hey, it's not. This is what I've heard a hundred times. It's not good missionary methodology. And it's not wisdom from the Bible yeah. to actually say that out yeah. loud. Right? <laughs> it's it. That's insanity. That's pure cowardice, right? That's pure cowardice. And so that's something that I hate about the false church a lot. Recent, more recently and, and, and all throughout the years is, is these, these, this cowardice in the church and, and people saying that they're being quote unquote wise, but in actuality, um, they're just being straight up cowards. Um, that's what they are. And they will not enter the kingdom of heaven like that. They yeah. will not. So. Yeah. Well, I hear you, bro. And I'm I'm concerned about, you know, those exact same things, man. I really am. And I'm uh and and I share the things that you love about the church also. You know, like I've I've actually been really impressed um there is a real fight in the American church. Yeah. There are people that, you know, um you know, they're not going to they're not going to bow down. They're going to they're they're going to follow Jesus and declares truth no matter what, you know, and I'm super impressed, you know, um, somebody who sums this up, Bevlin Beatty, right, I, I shared her um, video with you, that girl impresses the heck out of me, man, because she is so bold, right, she's out there, like, painting over that Black Lives Matter sign by herself, yeah, <laughs> so bold, right, so bold, and, you know, um, and, you know, she's she can't communicate with the intellectual elite at their level and she doesn't care right she's not out there like you know talking about critical race theory and et cetera et cetera she's like no i don't got time for that right like she's she's speaking from her worldview she knows it's different but she's not intimidated by the fact that she doesn't operate in the same worldview as those who essentially rule and influence our nation and i i love that about her Right, I love that, and I and it's not just her. There's so many believers like that in America, right? Yeah. They don't care that they don't. They're not impressive in the eyes of you know the intellectual elite or the media elites. Like they don't care about that. Um, super impressed um, by a lot of these um, believers, and of course they get made fun of. They get like you know they get disregarded and dismissed. But there's a lot of them in America. And, um, you know, you're right, that's, people hate them, and they're going to, I think they're going to increasingly hate them more and more, which kind of brings us, you know, to the, the last thing I want to talk about, where do you think all this is headed, man, where do you think we're going, you know, forward here in America, what do you see in 2021, and um, anything after? Yeah, um, wow, uh, yeah, so there's, yeah, uh, where to, where to begin, my goodness, um, I am convinced that we, that America is definitely headed toward um, 
mass serious judgment. I think the judgments of the Lord have been in the land for a long time. Uh, but I believe that we are, are headed for nationwide sweeping judgment. Um, the kind that will, you know, devastate our nation in a, in a really, really, really significant way, the entire nation. Um, and uh, I... Let me, let me pause. Yeah. What would you say to those believers who say, God, you know, like, why would God judge our nation? Haven't we done so much good, you know, like, don't we do, so, like, we, you know, care for orphans and we care for immigrants who come, refugees, and don't we do a lot of good? Why would God you know, do all this. We already talked about the, the God's love, so we won't address that. But, you know, in the face of, hey, but we've also done all this good, why would God judge us? Yeah, I, I, that's a really good point. And, and I think that's really important. To, the one thing that's really important to understand in that is that I believe that God has specific purposes for nations. Uh, you know, I'm, God's not willy-nilly willy just created stuff, and, and, and there are purposes to God. There's He has a will in all things, right? And so, America had a purpose. Um, America had a purpose. I, I believe that purpose was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, it's one of the things that even, um, you know, the, the people that first came to America, the founders and whatnot, they all had this understanding that they were coming to a land to be a Christian, but also to take the gospel also to the ends of the earth. I, I, I believe it was, uh, even even Christopher Columbus, right? People, people, you know, he's been canceled, but uh, by the left <laughs> today. But it doesn't even matter. Like even him, like he he was going on his journey because he he specifically had a mandate in his heart that he wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? And that was part of the purpose uh, uh, of of what he was searching out, what he was searching for. Um, and again. Um, the founders of this nation, uh, same deal, right? To, to be a, a nation that sends the gospel to the ends of the earth, again, as sinful and as messed up as they were, and, and, and maybe as, <clears throat> you know, many of them not even true Christians, right? But whatever. But the point is that God had a purpose, right? He had a purpose. Now, I believe that God is so long-suffering, as I, and I don't, it's not I believe, God says so. He is. He is long-suffering. And and throughout the hundreds of years of our nation's history, God has been long-suffering with the many, many grave evils in our nation, right? Go back to the beginning. I mean, just absolute evil, right? You know, lots of evil. Um, and there was a long-suffering. And, and there were interim judgments too, right? I mean, you know, the Americans, the, the first civil war was the judgment of God, right? I, re I remember, you know, in prayer one day, you know, in, the Lord, I, you know, I really felt burdened on my heart that, that, that there's going to be another civil war and it's going to be judgment for abortion, right? The shedding of innocent blood, right? Essentially that God would say, you love shedding blood so much, I will give you more than you can handle, right? And, and I, I, I felt that very strongly in prayer. Um, and, you know, I remember it was actually at TKC, is the was the first time I ever shared that publicly outside of Naos, right? Uh, I just felt the burden, like we were having that prayer gathering, right, uh, with David and, and stuff, and I just felt this burden. I have to share it. I have to now is the time to share it. I've been praying on, sitting on for a long time, and you know I shared that as I, I believe that you know the Lord is. I I, I believe that the Lord um, is is saying in that there's going to be another. He's going to bring another civil war, second civil war, and it will be for abortion. It will be a judgment for abortion. Um, and we're praying on that. And literally the next morning, 
I, I wake up, the first thing I did is I open up my Solid Joyce app, you know, John Piper Solid Joyce app on my phone. And that morning's uh, um, devotion was literally Abraham Lincoln saying that the American Civil War was judgment of was the judgment of God for slavery. Right. Uh, and so, you know, and there are many things like that. I'm not saying that that's the only thing. There, there are many things. Like I, I do believe we're, we're headed for uh, a civil war, second civil war. Um, and that I do believe that that will lead to a third world war. Um, <clears throat> now, I believe that this collapse is imminent. I, I, I really believe, uh, you know, I, Fred Markert's research has been critical, I think. I, I think it's literally one of the most important things that anyone, any Christian can hear right now is Fred Markert's talks on the history of nations, the rises and the fallings of nations and the historical patterns that we see that are set in, in history and how America is literally checked, has checked all the boxes literally down the line, has checked every single box that every past civilization has checked before their imminent collapse, right? And, and I think that that's very important to understand that, see, we can look at that secular Secular historians know this for a fact, right? They they know that America is about to collapse. This is secular his, historians, right? PhD scholars from all the Ivy League schools, they all agree America is on collapse. They're uh, we're about to collapse. They're not Christians. They're just looking at the history and the pattern of history and civilization that have collapsed, and they see it exactly. Oh, the same exact pattern. It's going to happen. See, but from a Christian perspective, Christian worldview, we understand that it's not just these random things that happen and the moral decline and all this kind of stuff. It's that as the moral decline happens and as people, as a civilization continues to reject God more and more and to produce more evil than good, then there comes a point at which God says, enough is enough. Now my judgment must come. And that in and of itself is a mercy. Right. Because as Isaiah, Isaiah says, I think it's Isaiah 26. Right. When the judgments of the Lord are in the land, the people learn righteousness. So even when God brings his interim judgments, it's still in a way mercy. Right. It's still in a way mercy. It's it's re, it's a redemptive judgment in the sense that it's so that evil could stop and the people can actually wake up and learn righteousness. Right. Because they weren't mm -hmm. hearing it through the, the kind voice of God, right? Where he's saying, repent, repent, repent. This is evil. This is evil. This is wicked. This is righteousness. This is evil. And then people that, no, 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 no. Oh, that's not righteous. That's evil. Oh, this thing that you call evil, this is actually good. And the, the more that people reject God and hate God, and and, and what happened in America is, out the, the and I think, I think it was Fred Margaret that talks about this as well, but the level of, gospel going forth from America has been surpassed exceedingly by the level of evil that's going out from America to the ends of the earth, right? Through Hollywood, through, I mean, we, America is the capital and the home of internet pornography, right? We, we export pornography to the rest of the world, right? I think it was, I heard this stat that absolutely blew my mind. In America alone, in one day, um, I think it, every, was it, it's either one kilobyte or gigabyte, man, it makes a big difference. But anyways, the amount of pornography that is viewed in America only in one day, if you, if you took one sheet of eight by, you know, 11 and a half paper, you know, regular sheet of paper, 
per gig or per kilobyte, one of those, and you stacked up those pieces of paper, it would fill volume wise, it would fill the entire Empire State Building, right? The entire Empire State Building, right? I mean, that's a crap ton For sure. of pornography. And, oh. and, and it's not just being consumed in America, it's being exported to the rest of the world. And, and, and not to mention, you know, the, the, the sex slavery, human trafficking, you know, all this, the drugs that are being exported. I mean, it's just that there, the evil that America is exporting has far surpassed the gospel that's being exported. And that's why I believe that God is saying enough is enough. America, you are not doing what I, I you know, I purpose you to do. So you must end. Um, and the last thing I'll say, I, I'm talking a long time, but the last thing I say, and, and another thing that I think is one of the most important things that that we can hear as Christians is actually it comes from the lesbian feminist professor, pagan, not not Christian, not Christian at all. Uh, but she she identifies as a lesbian, sometimes as a androgynous. She has a very uh, she's very she has a very uh, what is it called uh, uh, high interest. Uh, in androgyny and she wrote a book about it actually it's called sexual personae what was her name uh, her, name, her, her name is camille palia right that's right c-a-m-i-l-l-e-p-a-g-l-i-a yeah yeah i remember yeah. that quote mm -hmm. yeah camille palia right so she, she you know her mentor was harold bloom you know harvard professor harold bloom who was a gnostic uh, i believe he was a gnostic uh but um you know he he also talked about androgyny and so, you know, she was heavily influenced by Harold Bloom. And, uh, you know, she's a, I believe she was an art professor. She is, uh, she's been, you know, a professor for like 46 years or something like that. I don't know, but she's still alive, obviously. Um, but so in her book, Sexual Personae, she basically, it, it was, it started with a, an interest and an intrigue with androgyny. And she was viewing it from the lens of art history, I believe. Um, and what basically what she found, okay, she is a, again, feminist, but she's a second wave feminist, which is a huge difference, right? She, she act third wave feminist and leftists today hate Camille Palia. They hate her because she's like the old school feminist. That's like, no equality between women and men, but you know, all this crazy stuff that you guys are talking about today, this intersectionality and, 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 you know, this crazy 100 plus genders identifications like she's like this thing is it's insane right and and the 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 council culture she's like this is insanity this makes like you know this would make the german gestapo the secret police you know like you know jealous you know the kind of canceling and monitoring and like kind of thing that's going on on university campuses today like call this hotline and report this person that said this thing that you didn't like i mean she's like this is insanity and so leftists today hate her uh, but again she's a, a she's openly lesbian she's uh, androgynous sometimes she even says she's transgender i think uh and and she's a total heathen uh not a christian at all uh but anyways so in her book sexual personae she found in her research that Every single time a major nation, a civilization, a powerful civilization, every single time it was about to collapse, one of the final cultural uh, cornerstones, pillars that was propped up right before the collapse of that nation was the normalization of homosexuality and transgenderism. 
right? That was, she found that. She found it in Hellenistic Greece. She found it in, in, in Rome, Roman Byzantium. She found it in uh, Babylon, ancient Babylon. She found it in ancient Egypt. Uh, 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 in, in, in all these places, she wrote about this and she gives the evidence. And, and she actually shows it through the, the art, surprisingly. I mean, not surprisingly, because I feel like art reflects culture so well, right? And so what she would find is that in these cultures, all these big, massive cultures, I mean, think about Rome, right? Rome, right? How did Rome fall, man? I mean, I mean, we know how it fell, but it was such a powerful nation and an empire, and it absolutely collapsed. Yeah. And right before its collapse, she would show the art in Rome, how before the art was very like men were very muscular, right? They had muscle tone and they were, you know, they were holding swords and like, you know, holding, you know, heads of lions or whatever, you know, like it was very masculine and very strong male personas, right? And then she would show how like as time pro progressed, men started losing their muscle in the art and they, they started to look more soft and didn't, you know, didn't look furrow-browed, look, look more like pleasant in the face, you know, and look softer, less muscle, uh, less weaponry, you know, and, and started actually looking more like women and, and started looking like, you know, very, and then eventually got to the point where it, it was not only just, you know, softer men, it was actually gender bending is what she calls it, right? Gender bending, right? It was like, you know, it'd be like a, almost like a woman's face, but with, you know, like male genitalia, right? Would be a statue or, you know, and, and even she, she even talks about uh, pedophilia being one of those, also one of those final indicators when pedophilia is normalized uh, as well, that that nation soon collapsed. And so, you know, she talked about how the, the art started becoming more about like young little naked boys, you know, like, yeah. um, and, and how that was like, you know, being normalized. Um, and so, so she, that's, that's coming from a liberal feminist, lesbian, yeah. non-Christian professor. Yeah. And she says this. She says, Jeez. Western civilization is 100% about to collapse, right? Because yeah. it's historical, right? It's it's every single civilization that has normalized homosexuality, transgenderism, and pedophilia, which we are all there, um, has collapsed very soon after. And so, you know, I, I think that that's, these are very important things. I mean, we could talk about prophetic things, you know, even, even for me, like, you know, there, there have been several things like that. But honestly, more than that, uh, uh, these tangible historical facts as from a Christian worldview, we see that God, we just, we see throughout history that when, when a nation normalizes homosexuality, transgenderism, and pedophilia, we know that that to God, that's the time when he says, okay, enough is enough. It's, it's done now. Right. And, and it fits with Romans one as well. Right. Right. Um, and so. I believe we're there. I, I do believe that uh, America is on in. We're about to that there will be a collapse in our nation, uh, economic, governmental. Um, it will. It will. I believe manifest in the form of many different kinds of natural disasters. I believe it will will manifest in a second civil war. I believe that second civil war will lead into a third world war. Um, I think uh, you know right now Russia. And China, North Korea, and a lot of the Middle East, they are foaming at the mouth, according to secular uh, political scientists, foaming at the mouth, ready to pounce on America because they see they see the weakness of America, right? The Obama administration, what they, they how they absolutely eviscerated our military power, 
um, uh, and they're seething. They're 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 ready to pounce. And so once uh, and and obviously the where we're at right now in America, the 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 divide in our nation, right? The divide in our nation that is we're coming to an impasse. It's it's a true impasse. There's this ideological impasse is is growing. It's not coming together. It's the chasm is growing. There's a there's such a strong uh, um, opposition of ide- ideologies that is happening right now, and I do believe it's the Lord, partly the Lord, in the se- in the sense that I believe it's judgment, right? I believe this is part of the judgment of God for our nation, um, sure. that that this division will lead to the civil war, um, and 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 sure. then once we're weakened from within, I believe that the uh, other nations will invade. Let me ask you two follow up questions. There's so many things we could talk about. Um, yeah. Let me ask two follow-up questions on what you just said. Number one, um, what do you feel about a revival? Do you feel like we're going to have a revival? And how does that work in with the you know, the judgment that you're talking about? Yeah, okay, so that's a really good question. And, and you know, for a long time, you know, I've, I've been feeling, you know, again, we've been praying, you know, you know, we pray, you know, a lot for America, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what we do, like, our house of prayer. Uh, and, you know, I know you are too, and David as well. And, you know, we're praying for America constantly, you know, together in, in, in corporate prayer, you know, all throughout the week, several times a week. And one thing that I have consistently felt throughout the years was that judgment is inevitable. Revival is possible, right? That's kind of the, the that kind is kind of the, the phrase that I've had in my heart and mind is that there's, there is no, absolutely no way to avert the judgment that's coming. Um, it's the, Sure. America has reached a point where it has to be destroyed in the in the righteous judgment of God because um, of the wickedness has reached a point where it must be dealt with this way uh, because America has spurned God and rejected God's kindness for so long. Uh, but I do believe that revival is possible. I, I, I believe it's possible. I don't I don't believe it's inevitable, like maybe some people, uh, maybe really optimistic people. I, I believe it's possible, though. Uh, one thing that I, I come across, you know, if it, you know, if you read in the scriptures, man, the scriptures is clear, uh, dude, that the, that many at many different points, the judgment of God comes suddenly. And, and it even talks about that. Right. God even says that he says, you know, and, you know, suddenly, you know, like I'll break through like, you know, and, and with judgment, you know, and destroy you with your enemies and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then, but there was this one passage I'm trying to look for it um, that I came across that really was like, oh Lord, man, that would be that'd be really awesome. And I've been praying into it. Um, is it? I believe it's Second Chronicles 29, the la- literally the last verse. I want to say. Uh, uh, I can't find it. I, anyways, I, I I think it's I think it's Second Chronicles 29, the last verse, but. Basically, it was the first time that I, I came across a passage where it said, suddenly, God restored the people, right? It, it, all throughout, the, I've seen many instances of God saying, suddenly, judgment will break out before you, mm-hmm. and, and it'll break over your head, and, and the, your walls will burst, and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Suddenly, the judgment of God. And, and But this was the only place that I've seen so far where it was suddenly God brought restoration. Right. He brought revival in that sense. And, and so I've been I've been really holding on to that verse, man. I've been praying that I'm like, Lord, 
Yes, like I, I, I see it and I, I agree with you, Lord. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it is what you say. Like, I, I'm submitting to you, Lord. And, and I do believe like America does deserve your judgments, Lord. But there's, you know, obviously as intercessors and just Christians in general, like we need to be praying for mercy all the time. Yeah. You know, like even if we have to pray for the judgment of God to come, even if we have to pray imprecatory prayers at certain times, at certain points, as is biblical, you know, we, we still pray for mercy, you know, like, and, and I've been praying that I've been praying that in mercy that, that, that America would see a third great awakening, like a fine, just yeah. before that judgment comes, you know, that, yeah. that we would see a, a season of, of revival before that judgment comes. And so I've been praying that yeah. um, if I'm being really honest, it, 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 it seems like that, that possibility is closing really fast. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that the time for that, um, let me, let me yeah. give, let me give some of my paradigm cause I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So l- there's kind of two things that come to my mind. Number one, I tend to think that when, it, when scripture speaks of God's judgment, there's judgment to discipline and there's yeah. judgment to destroy. And right. Those are two different things. Um, cause destruction is the worst, right? Discipline is is to chasten and to humble and to lead to repentance. But to the degree that he sends a judgment to discipline and it's not heeded, there is no repentance, then it leads to more destruction, right? And um, so that's kind of my paradigm. And the second thing is I tend to see that revival and judgment go hand in hand because there's a principle in the scriptures that we're we are responsible for the revelation that we're given, right? Jesus talks about this. If the miracles that had been done, you know, in you, Capernaum, had, be done, had been done back in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented, right? And therefore, you know, you are accountable to this, right? Because you saw the signs, you saw the wonders, you did not repent. It did not lead to massive repentance. And therefore, he starts to prophesy judgment over Jerusalem and all the terrible things that are going to happen to Jerusalem because they did not repent even though they saw the power of God. And so um, that, I think, matters, meaning um, we're asking God for revival, um, and, and rightly so, because revival is the hope, you know, for massive repentance, right? That we can see massive reformation and repentance, but that's the purpose of the revival. A lot of people think purpose of the revival is just to get a lot of new people saved, you know, and, and happy party, Jesus party time. And I, I really try and uh, correct that because Israel went through a type of revival when Jesus came, right? There was an outpouring, right? But the nation rejected, for the most part, rejected the revival. And because of that, it was subjected to, to a terrible judgment, Right, a terrible judgment. The Romans came in 70 AD. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple, scattered the people of Israel. It's a terrible, terrible judgment because they rejected the revelation. Same thing. Um, we see that pattern all throughout history. We see it in the Second Great Awakening. Right, We see um, an incredible revival come upon America. Lots of people got saved, but there wasn't complete repentance on the issue of slavery, even though that became a major theme in the preaching of the Second Great Awakening. Um, the leaders of the Second Great Awakening preached abolition. They preached against the sin of slavery, but there was not um, complete repentance on that. It was only half repentance, which is why we had a civil war. I think if there wasn't at least half repentance, it would have been far worse. I think our nation could have been split, right? But we see that same pattern after um, the Pentecostal revivals of the early 20th century. That was a worldwide revival, right? Lots of different places, India, Korea, um, in Wales right here, obviously, in um, Southern California. Um, 
but right after that, we see the outbreak of the First World War, right? And so you tend to see revival and then the judgment. How did how did people respond to the outpouring of the Spirit? How did people respond, right, to the, the demonstration of power, right, and the revelation that was poured out? And I think depending on that, if you if you respond rightly, then you get blessed. If you respond wrongly, then you get you get punished. Something like that. And so that's why I tend to think that revival and judgment go hand in hand as we understand it. And I think it's likely that we will see um, a revival, um, but we have to understand the purpose of that revival. And I think that that's a big reason why this idea that God sends the spirit of Elijah first, right, to prepare people for visitation. Right, because if God visits and people's hearts are super hardened, they'll reject it, and then He'll send judgment. That's why He sends the Spirit of Elijah as mercy to prepare people's hearts, to humble them, right, to lead them to repentance, so that when revela- when the when the uh, revelation comes, like many many more will receive it. Right, is is the hope, right? And I think that that's exactly where we are today, right? And um, Joe, when I look at you. And I see voices like yours and Jeremiah Johnson, but there's there's lots of different voices, right, calling out for America to repent, right, to repent, and specifically for the church to repent. And um, that movement of prayer calling for holiness and consecration, it's really intended to prepare the nation for visitation. That's my understanding. And so I think we will have a visitation from the Lord, but the visitation is not the end goal. Right, I, I, you know, I, I kind of wish it were. It was just about the revival, but I think the revival is to accomplish a purpose. And when revival comes, we have to push for massive repentance and reformation in our culture. We have yeah. to push for mass mass reformation. If we do not have massive repentance, then we we are going to get judged. And I tend to agree with you. I think that that's that's what we're talking about. Will we have massive repentance and an even greater future than our past? I really hope for. I hope for that. I think there's actually a good chance of that happening, um, but I don't think it's guaranteed by any chance, by any measure. Right? I don't think it's guaranteed. Um, you know, the 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 first civil war. You know, one out of fifty-two percent of the nation was killed in the first civil war. That's a, ter- that's a pretty terrible judgment, right? It's the greatest blood bloodshed in American history from a war. Um, but I think we could be, I think we're going to see a much worse judgment than the first civil war. Right. And I, I, I do think we'll probably have a second civil war. And over the past 10 years, especially I have felt a burden to warn the church that, um, we have to prepare to go through hardship. We have to prepare to go through hardship. And I've been trying to warn people because, you know, if uh, look, we, we are the most privileged generation in history in a lot of ways, right? Especially when we're talking young people. They, were, they didn't even live through the Cold War, you know? Like, they've mm-hmm. never known existential threat um, in serious hardship. They've just read about it in books and stuff like that. But look, this is the way of the world. The world has gone through, you know, terrible things. And Scripture warns us. It doesn't warn us that things are going to get better and better and better, in my opinion. It warns us that both the darkness and the light increase, but that the the creation goes through birth pangs, right? It births a new creation through ter- times of terrible tribulation. <laughs> they get worse and worse before the coming of the king. And so if anything, I think Christians should be prepared to go through major hardship. But that's why it's so disturbing to me that um, so many Christians, they, they can't hear this, right? It's like, no, 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 you're being negative, right? We're supposed to be positive. 
And, and I'm like, this flows against the entire flow of scripture that's about warning us, right? Warning us of hardships and that we have to go through hardship. We have to go through suffering, through many tribulations, right? We come to come into the kingdom, right? And um, so uh, f- last final question, you know, um, I do want to respond to any of that judgment stuff, but also I want to ask this question, why don't Christians fight? And I look, I run into this all the time that this idea, well, God's will is going to be done. Well, you know, nothing we can do can really change God's will. It's going to be done. He's sovereign. Everything happens according to his purpose and plan. We, none of us can change any of it. So that, you know, I tend to see a lot of that influenced by Calvinism. We won't jump into a whole Calvinist thing. I know at least in your brand of Calvinism that you don't see that link or you don't feel like Calvinism, you know, contributes to that mindset. So I'll go ahead, defend some, defend your Calvinism, right? And comment on any of the, the judgment stuff that we talked about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot to that. So one, one thing I'll say, uh, before the other stuff is um, <clears throat> Camille Pelia actually talks specifically about this thing and why has why has why has this generation become so utterly petty uh, and and easily offended and um, confused really confused about everything uh, and and one of the things she points out is that. It's it's simply because this previous this generation today they're not being taught what previous generations used to be taught in university, right? right? What they're being taught today is just just absolute modern BS, right? Is what it is, right? Modern stuff, right? She says like you know she says like you know they're learning from like you know third rate French philosophers, right? <laughs> you know that we would never have read in our day, right? And and, and you know, she talks about how in, in back then in the university, they, they went back into history, history, right? Into the stone ages to learn about culture and society and to learn about politics and to learn about all these things and all throughout history. But she talks about how that's all been stripped away from modern university curriculum right. curriculum. Yeah. And it's literally just all wokeism today. Yeah, it's just, that's all it is. It's yeah. modern stuff. It's, she calls it presentism, right? Where you're only learning about the present. Right. And that's your only context. And so she's like, these kids have no idea about war. They don't know what war is. Right. They've never lived it. They've never heard about it. They never, even li- they never even learned it. But that's what they're supposed to be learning about was the suffering that people went through, how hardship came, how hard, how how cultures went through actual hardships. Right. But today it's like, oh, you called me a certain thing. Now it's like it's the end of the world. Right. It's because you called me something that hurt my feelings. Right. I mean, and she's like, this is insanity. Right. She calls it insanity. Right. Yeah. How how literally universities are being controlled by little whiny little brats. Right. Is, is what, you know, essentially what she says. Like, yeah whiny little toddlers that are throwing a tantrum and these universities are like changing every their policies and they're changing everything for these little whiny brats right that are throwing temper tantrums because they got their little feelings hurt because they said they heard a word that they didn't like right that's it's, it's insanity and then that's where we're at right now and so you know again like it it, it is it, it it's pretty remarkable you know uh, uh where we're at as a culture in that regard um, um, and, um, but yeah, so, so the judgment being, um, you know, people, people, and that reflects in the church, people don't want to hear about judgment, right? 
anything negative, anything like that makes me uncomfortable, they don't want to hear it, right? And it's offensive, right? How, you know, like to talk about anything negative towards humanity, right? And again, that's that's so far from a biblical worldview that that does speak very negatively of humanity at a lot of different points, right? I mean, not only negative, obviously, uh, you know, there's there's hope spoken to humanity, there's redemption, and there's forgiveness, and there is love from God, but that's not separated from the context of all the negative things that God says about humanity as well, right? right. And so, so there is this incredible um, uh, uh, humanistic view of the Bible and God, right, in, in, in the church, and that's why they can't hear these judgment words, right? That's why it makes them so uncomfortable to hear that God would do that. No way, right? It's like it's like revolutionary, right? It's like it's not revolutionary. It's 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 heretical to them, right? Yeah. It's heretical to so much of the church that to say that God would bring such grave disaster and destruction, right? That He would do it by His hand, which He says He does. Um, anyways, but that's that's it's really sad, man. It's really yeah. sad uh, to see that um, all throughout the church in America. Um, but yeah, why doesn't the church fight? There's a lot to that. Um, and definitely people that do not understand <laughs> Calvinism, uh, correctly. Uh, yes, they do. They, 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 I've definitely met people too that, that have been like, oh, God's will is going to be done guys. You know, like, so let's not freak out, you know, like don't get all like, you know, cause I'm, I'm, you know, ever since the beginning, right? I, I was a very urgent person, right? I mean, because, you know, when the Lord speaks and brings conviction through his, through the scriptures and through prayer on matters, it's it's very serious. It's a sober thing. It's an urgent thing. Like, we need to turn from sin urgently, right? That's the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, that's 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 what he said to, to, to the church at Laodicea. It's not like, oh, when you get time, maybe, maybe then you can turn from your lukewarmness. No, it's like, with zeal repent right zealously repent right is what he said literally zealously repent there's an urgency right and so i think i as a you know as a calvinist you know i've encountered other calvinists that quote-unquote calvinists they're not actually calvinists they're 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 very oh false wrong. calvinists <laughs> but i've encountered people that in my urgency they're like whoa man whoa like calm down calm down like you don't have to be so urgent you don't have to, you don't be so crazy about these things like god's sovereign don't worry god's sovereign everything's gonna work out fine and, and, and see that that to me is absolute garbage right that that that's using that's wrongly understanding calvinism and the sovereignty of god to give yourself to excuse your own apathy and lukewarmness and your pathetic state spiritually pathetic state of dullness right and spiritual slumber right that's what it is right and that's what uh, that's what you see in a lot of reformed people actually right truth be told right i mean i speak a lot against the charismatic movement because there's a lot of wrong in the charismatic movement and a lot of heresy but one thing that i speak against the reform movement all the time is that in the reformed movement among Calvinists, people that call themselves Calvinists and stuff like that, and, and, and again, they're they're more nominally Calvinist and reformed, and they don't they don't have really actually studied it and studied the scriptures on these things. But I've seen a lot of people that call themselves reformed use the sovereignty of God as an excuse to stay lukewarm, right? And to live that nice, comfortable Christian life that they always wanted to live, right? <clears throat> to just to be a good Christian, to be a good neighbor, you know 
just be a good neighbor to your neighbor. Say good morning to them when you leave in the, you know, in the morning and you see them in the driveway, say good morning, you know, and yeah. you know, maybe yeah. invite them over to your house for a dinner once every two years or something. You know, I, there's a lot of that actually, you know, among uh, reformed and, and, and people, but I think the main reason why people, Christians are not fighting is because the devil has effectively used the cowards in the pulpits in America to literally uh, uh, deceive the church into thinking that it is the loving thing to do to not be confrontational, right? That is actually, it is actually evil to be confrontational. It's yeah. evil. It's evil to bring talk about controversial things. You're just trying to stir up division. You know, you're just trying to stir the pot. You're just trying to, you know, cause a scene. You know, no, that's not loving. Loving and compassion looks like you hear them out, they have understanding. Oh, and you just love them where they're at. And that's it. That's it. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to bring up the opposition. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, try to rebut. You don't, you don't have to try to argue. You don't have to try to, you know, tell the truth in that time, in that, that place, you know, just hear them and receive them and just love them. Right. I, I think honestly, the, the, the church is so filled with cowards and cowards that call themselves preachers that I, I really think that, that at the end of the day, this is what the problem is. It is the spirit of Ahab in the church, Right. That, that, that is manifesting in these coward pastors and leaders and, and Christian leaders that are literally uh, 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 making the church impotent. Don't fight. That's wrong. That's, that's evil. Hey, guys, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, confrontational. You shouldn't fight. You shouldn't speak up for the truth when it's controversial because then you're just going to turn people away from the gospel. You're going to turn people away from Christ un needlessly. You're going to do that. And so, you know, we don't do that. That's not wisdom, guys. What's wisdom is let's draw them in with love, draw them in with love. But the crazy thing is, again, is that's just an excuse for their own cowardice because Jesus himself did not display that kind of quote unquote wisdom right or missionary methodology right jesus didn't show that he said look all these people are following you jesus the disciples so many people jesus all these people are following you this is amazing and then jesus says oh yeah this is great and he stands up and he says if anyone wants to follow me you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and then everyone's like what the heck what is this guy saying? And then everyone leaves. This guy's crazy. We thought this guy was the prophet or this guy was the Messiah. Forget this guy. This guy's crazy, right? And so everyone starts leaving. And then Jesus looks to his disciples. Jesus didn't freak out like most coward pastors in America would do. But, oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't leave. Don't leave. I, let me explain. Let me explain. Jesus didn't even explain. <laughs> He could have been like, hey, guys, I actually meant what I actually meant by that. He didn't do that. He's just like, if you want to follow me, eat my flesh drink my blood full stop <laughs> he most cow pastors would be freaking out about that they, they would never do that but if they did, said anything offensive or what they would be they'd be like doing everything they can to claw back the people jesus didn't do that he said no so i'm gonna say and then he looked to his disciples his closest ones and he says hey are you gonna leave too and then they're like oh where else can we go? You know, that's what yeah. their response was. Like, where else can we go? 
And so Jesus never showed that, you know, again, I think it was Luke 11 or Luke 13, right? I mean, Jesus, he goes on a rampage with people, right? He calls every single, he goes down the list of category of groups and he condemns all of them. First, his disciples, he says, hey, look, if you being evil men know how to give good gifts to your children, then the father does, the father does too. And he, so he calls his closest ones evil men. And then he calls the, the, the Pharisees, or then he turns to the crowds and says, look, you are a wicked and a perverted generation. <laughs> okay. That's what he says to the whole crowd. You are a wicked and a perverted generation turned from your wickedness. And then he goes in, in that same chapter. And then he goes to the Pharisees and he says, woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you. That word woe is literally curse you, curse you, Pharisees. And then the lawyers and the scribes say, whoa, Jesus, you're saying that to the Pharisees. What about us? Like, do you, are you including us in that? And then he says, oh, I actually am. Woe to you, <laughs> lawyers. Cursed are you, lawyers and scribes. Cursed are you too, right? And it's like, what? Like, Jesus did that in one chapter, right, of the New, Test uh, in the New Testament, right, in, in Luke. And, and see, today, that would be most... Like, if I explained that, like, hey, I'm going to do this on next Sunday uh, uh, when I go out uh, street evangelism and, and, you know, preach at my church on Sunday. Um, and then most coward pastors in America would say, whoa, don't do that, buddy. <laughs> Why you got to do? Hey, don't do that. That's like that's like arrogant and elitist. And, you know, no, 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 no. Yeah, that, that's bad. That's bad missionary method. No, no. You know what they say? That's being a bad witness of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they would say. That's being a bad witness of Christ. And then when yeah. Christ himself yeah. did that all the time, it's yeah. amazing. And so why don't Christians fight today? Why are they sitting on the sidelines? Why are they kowtowing, tucking tail and running? Because their pastors show them how to live, right? It's true. I mean, it's sad, but true. It, and it's not sad. It, it's, it's good. God made it a good thing in certain ways, right? that we are supposed to imitate those who have gone before us, right? We are. We're called to imitate our, our, our spiritual leaders. Not 100%. I'm not talking about any kind of weird stuff here. But no, our, we have spiritual leaders in our lives, and that's God set that up, and we're supposed to look up to them. We're supposed to imitate their lives so far as it imitates Christ, right? We're supposed to do that. And, 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 and that works negatively in the same way. It's like these people, the, so many people today are being led by cowards, and they're being taught how to be a coward. That's what they're being taught. That's literally what they're being taught. They're being taught how to be, they're being taught how to be a coward, right? And so that's what we have in the church. And so whenever anything controversial comes up, they've already learned from their shep their quote unquote shepherds, their hireling shepherds, their false shepherds, the, the ones that run at the first sign of a wolf, right? Which Jesus condemned, right? Jesus condemned that. Right. He condemned those hireling shepherds that ran at the first sign of a wolf. Right. But that's what we have today in the church in America is a bunch of shepherds and pastors and leaders that run at the first sign of a wolf. Right. At the first sign of a fight, at the first sign of danger, they run. They tuck tail like a coward and run. And so their people see that and they learn it. And that's what you have. There are so there are such little examples in the church today in America of leaders that are standing up and speaking the truth that are being absolutely just attacked and slandered and canceled and fired and losing jobs and 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 losing 
you know, friends on Facebook or, or, or losing followers on their Instagram and Twitter or whatever else. And, and there's such few examples of pastors and leaders that are, are speaking the truth, facing all that and still doing it. Right. And that's what I appreciate about you, brother, a lot, man. Like, you know, you've gone through a lot in that regard, you know, like you, David, myself, like many other people are facing that kind of backlash, facing that kind of, you know, um, uh, just, uh, persecution is small, but persecution and, 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 you know, we're getting attacked, you're getting attacked, uh, and, and still just standing there speaking the truth, continue to speak in truth, speak the truth, speak the truth and, uh, and, and doing it for the love of God and doing it for the love of people. And, and, and so what I would say that that's what I would say is why aren't people fighting? Why aren't Christians fighting? It's because of that they've, they've learned from cowards. They're following cowards. They've learned how to be a coward. And there are not enough good examples of men and women of God standing up and fighting and content as, as the scripture literally says, as God says in the New Testament, I, I have to emphasize that every time because people are still tripped up about, oh, but that's Old Testament. That's such garbage. That's Marcionistic, right? When we start trying to separate the God of the old and new, he's the same God. He's the same exact God, right? His Old Testament is the Bible. So is the New Testament. It's, it's all one book, one big book, right, from right. God. So, but the New Testament, contend earnestly for the faith, right? Contend, literally fight, fight for the faith, defend the faith. When it's being attacked, defend it, right? That means counterattack, right, with the truth. And, and people don't know, no, that's not, that's not biblical. It's literally in the Bible, right? It's literally biblical, right? To contend and fight and defend the truth of God, right? But, but again, people learn from cowards and they've learned from false teachers. And so uh, we need more men and women of God. And, and we just, we really do. We need more men and women of God to stand up in the public square and to start speaking the truth um, and to not back down. Uh, uh, you know, when they get, when they get attacked and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I hear yeah. you, man. Yeah. Well, Joe, I want to thank you. We're coming up on two hours, man. This is the longest interview I've done, but, uh, I appreciate your heart. I really do. And, um, yeah, you know, if I could just, you know, summarize a little bit of, you know, what you're talking about, you know, it, we just don't realize how, how discipled we've become by a different worldview. Yeah. You know, I'm remembering, you know, when I was a freshman in college and, um, you know, I was walking on Berkeley campus and I heard like this guy shouting about, you know, God, you know, God's going to k- kill everyone and judge everybody. And I remember I turned to my friend, I was like, dude, why is that guy doing that? Like he is like, you know, he's killing, he, he's, it, it seemed like what he's doing is counterproductive. I was like, why is he doing that? And, um, you know, I appreciate my friend's response. You know, and, um, you know, my friend was like, well, you know, I don't know. He's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know if God told him to do that, you know. And to be clear, I understand there are, we've all seen street, preacher, street, street preachers who are seemingly operating more out of, out of hate and offense than, than lovingly warning people about the coming wrath, something like that, right? And um, I'm not necessarily trying to justify that per se, but I am trying to say that this idea of preaching a message of warning and about the judgments of God, um, you know, me as a devout, I was a serious believer as a freshman in college, you know, I really was trying to follow him, but just that whole message, I had, it was so different and foreign to me, 
that um you know I I understand, I didn't realize to what degree I had already been discipled by a foreign worldview right where anything like that is so different but you know now when I when I look at the scriptures you know look that's that's what Jesus and Paul that's what they did they stood up in public places right and they warned the people of coming wrath they warned them repent right repent of your sins and um i understand it's just for so many christians we don't understand the reason why that looks so different and to us is is really because our worldview is not biblical you know we don't have a biblical worldview we don't realize that we've been raised in churches where the practice is actually really different from what the scriptures demonstrate and prescribe and so you know i i have a great hope bro that um that there is going to be a massive revival and there's going to be massive repentance. I really hope, you know, like I do think that we can have a, a, you know, a terrible judgment. I definitely think all that's possible. I do think, I think we're headed for serious hardship no matter what we are headed for judgment. Um, My only hope is that it, that we would repent from it, you know, that there'd be massive repentance in the nation. Um, And that continues to be my hope, you know, and the thing I, you know, the the thing that people could say about me and you is that, you know, we were loud on a lot of this stuff, but we're loud because we were serious about praying for the nation. We've given ourselves to countless hours in the prayer room, contending for our nation in prayer because we love the nation and we want to see God's will done here. And um, so we're not people just speaking, you know, out, out of our offense or our, you know, youthful zeal. You know, we're people who um, have loved the nation in private, right, and have loved the Lord in private in a serious way. And, um, you know, our hope is that that's what's fueling, you know, this burden that we carry to warn the church and to warn the nation. And, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I just say I, I really appreciate that about you, brother. You know, I think, um, you know, I tell people that, you know, I think pretty similarly to Joe about a lot of things. He just kind of says it at like, you know, level eight and I send it <laughs> like level four or five or something like that, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I, I do appreciate you. Um, you know, I, I, I do appreciate that, you know, through all these years, you know, the one thing I, I always tell people about you is you are like, um, you know, you're like a bulldog in the spirit. And it's like, if you feel like God's calling you to do something, nothing will stop you from doing that thing. Now, sometimes it's hard to convince you that it may not be God calling you to do that thing, but you know, if you have that conviction, nothing, you know, you're, you're like a bull, you will not let go of that. And that's something that I, I deeply admire about you. And, um, and I'm thankful for you, man. I'm thankful for what you're doing. Um, you've been so faithful in prayer and, um, and, um, it's clear that you, you're not afraid of people. And um, I think that that's a very refreshing kind of leadership, you know, that um, the body of Christ needs more of. And I totally understand why you're so bothered by all the cowardice in the church. And 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 I share that. I'm I'm super bothered by a lot of the very same things. And so appreciate your voice. Thank you for giving us all of your time. Um, we're not paying you anything, but you're used to that. <laughs> totally. And um, and and I love you, man. I love you. I love you, bro. Yeah. Same, man. Same. Thank you, bro. Um, I love you too. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you doing all this. Uh, I think what you're doing with the the righteous remnant thing and these podcasts and and wanting to be that voice, I I it's this is invaluable, bro. Like you, you know, I want to encourage you and and just tell you uh, how thankful I am and encourage you in what you're doing in wanting to 
you know, speak the, tr the very unpopular, <laughs> very unpopular truth uh, on so many controversial issues um, that young people need to be hearing right now. And they're just not, you know, for so many places, they're just, there's such a dearth, right, uh, of this kind of, of the kind of message and the things that you're talking about, you know, speaking against Marxism, uh, against the woke thing and, and a lot of that stuff that's really bringing this, this generation down to the pits of hell, really. Mm. Uh, so dude, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, and I think it's really important, man. I hope you keep going. Yeah. Thanks and, brother. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate you, you, man. However I can. Yeah.